This is Center Stage, putting your firm in the spotlight by highlighting business owners and other industry experts to help take your firm to the next level. Hey everyone, and welcome to Center Stage. I am your host, John Henson, and this week we are talking about compliance and risk mitigation. Uh, and I feel like that's something that, uh, at least for small business owners, small firm owners, not something that a lot of people are thinking about or talking about, but it's definitely something that you should be considering and, and taking into consideration when uh, you know, you're dealing with your clients and, and just a lot of the legal work that you do if you're in that space. And so to help us with that conversation, we are joined by Natalia Gindler-Corsini of Prey Veneer, who spends pretty much every day in this world. And so she knows all about it. Uh, she is going to give us a lot of insight, a lot of uh, just good advice and, and practical knowledge on what you should be considering when it comes to compliance and, and just risk mitigation as a whole. So Natalia, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So before we dive in, uh, quick introduction, you know, who are you? Why are you the person to talk about compliance? So I, I am the founder and managing director of Private uh, that is a corporate compliance consulting firm, which is a purpose-driven uh, company that serves small, medium-sized, and family-owned businesses, uh, bringing to them uh, protection and creating culture of integrity through compliance and ESG programs, uh, just like the ones global corporations have, but tailored to its size and uh, its industry. Got it. So kind of when we hear the term compliance, you know, I, I think a lot of people have kind of a general idea of what it means, but I don't know that they realize the entire scope of what compliance actually covers. So in your words, what exactly does compliance mean? So uh, generally speaking, compliance itself is the state of being in accordance with uh, established guidelines or specification standards, policies, regulations, and laws. And for a business to be in compliance is to embrace uh, the corporate compliance culture, uh, which includes business ethics, internal controls, environmental, social, and governance responsibility. So is that, I mean, I guess, would that be similar to, uh, let's say that someone is building a house and they have to, I uh, kind of, the phrasing is up to code. They have to, you know, make sure that all of these building codes are in a line so that the house is safe to live in. Is that sort of the same sort of thing, but just with a bit, with running a business? Oh, yes, for sure. Uh, and that is, um, so it, it's a part of the compliance program, which is mm -hmm. the regular, regulatory uh, matter. So it's not only uh, compliant, uh, regulatory compliance, we have, it's, it's much bigger than that. Well, when you're dealing with the business, because that involves behaviors, um, workplace uh, uh, environment. So it's a little bit more than that. We deal right. with people and their behavior as well. Got it. So, I mean, I, I imagine that compliance programs, like you mentioned, they're pretty common in big law firms and, and larger companies and like that. But I, I think that they are probably equally as important for smaller firms. So why do smaller firms need some sort of compliance program? 
Yeah, it doesn't matter the size or the industry. Every business, including startups, um, law firms, fintechs, real estate, uh, asset management com management companies, all need uh, risk uh, management, like policies and procedures, internal controls. So in order to avoid uh, fraud and fines to have a sustainable and deep ethical culture to maintain its reputation, to protect its bottom line, bottom line so financial loss is a risk too, and to help it secure um, the business, the future uh, of the business. Every business should have a compliance program in place that is tailored to their industry size and risks. Got it. And so, you know, when it comes to a lot of these risks uh, and, and, you know, in your experience, I mean, what are some of the bigger compliance risks that some of these smaller firms, um, whether it's legal finance or whatever, what are some of the small, you know, what are some of these compliant risks, compliance risks, there we go, uh, that you've seen some of these smaller business, uh, be exposed to? Well, um, there, uh, from the law firm, uh, perspective, for example, uh, they have, uh, the, the, um, they are exposed to money laundering. Mm. They are exposed to corruption. Uh, it's uh, it's not only in, and from the the um, financial um, perspective, like uh, financial institu institutions perspective, yeah. it's uh, the same, basically the same, and mostly uh, money laundering. Um, Law firms and asset management companies with known or weak internal control policies are, and systems are exposed to unintentional involvement, involvement in corruption, conflicts of interest, and, uh, or money laundering. A client may request, for example, lawyers to set up a legal structure that appears lawful, but which is actually used to launder money. And organizations doing money, uh, the, uh, uh, doing business with non-resident foreign nationals with known or poor uh, anti-corruption program in place can be complicit in corrupt yeah. transactions. So lack of appropriate, um, appropriate programs expose uh, firms to national and international data uh, laws violation of, uh, uh, data protection laws violation as well. So it's a there's a there are laws which are uh, international, national and international, uh, that have to be um, followed so that be respected. And some uh, many of the law firms and asset uh, asset man management companies they are not aware of uh, their obligation. Yeah. So, you know, and kind of just hearing you talk about it, it just kind of a light bulb sort of went off there where it's like, you know, obviously if you're, if you're running a business, obviously you're, you know, at least we would hope that you're not purposely uh, going to engage in something illegal. Like the example that you kind of brought up where uh, a business lawyer is helping someone uh, organize or structure a business and that lawyer may think that that business is going to be, uh, 
you know, whatever, a bakery, a laundromat, whatever. But that business owner is withholding some information or is lying. And they're really, it's a, it's a whole scam. It's money laundering. It's a pyramid scheme, whatever it is. And so you're saying that the lawyer who then helped that person build that business could be held liable for that under this sort of scenario. Exactly. Yeah, that's correct. Hmm. And also uh, uh, many law firms, they, they are used like for extra escrow accounts. And mm-hmm. if they accept money that it's like um, from dirty and accept money from uh, illegal uh, activities, they're always complicit. Mm, okay. So I think obviously then uh, this is something that I think most people, should, if not everybody should be top of mind and definitely be considering. So then how do, uh, how do these compliance programs work? You know, how do they, I guess, how do they help uh, lawyers, business owners, whatever, how do they help them just kind of protect themselves? Does it help them kind of look for signs that maybe they're doing something that's a little risky, something they should avoid? How do these programs really work? So uh, compliance programs involve uh, prevention, detection, and correction uh, procedures. So they ensure that policies and procedures created to address the company's risks are effective. They consist uh, of elements like risk risk assessment, uh, a code code of conduct and ethics, training and communication, reporting channels, internal investigation and monitoring. So there are simple ways and affordable tools to build compliance programs that are perfectly suitable to any company size. And due diligence and background uh, checking are one of those tools. So when uh, when law firms and lawyers have that in place, uh, they can for sure avoid any wrongdoing and something that they can be uh, unintentionally involved. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned background checks. Um, You know, I know that I think most background checks, you know, whether it's for new hires or maybe you're doing it for something else in general, I think it just looks at um, like just a basic criminal history, maybe just basic uh, demographic or, you know, past at, you know, living addresses and stuff like that. But what, um, you know, when it comes to these background checks, how deep and how involved should they actually be? You know, um, I'm trying to think about like, yeah, like in terms of a strong background check, what what are some of the the bigger details that that they really should be looking for in a background check? So uh, yeah, background check is an important internal control step, which is itself part of the compliance program. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a misconception for small, mid-sized, and family-owned business, in, uh, which is that the background checks for them are unnecessary. And that's mm-hmm. not true. They believe they don't need to. And so they perform it at a level that is considered inadequate or uh, they don't do it at all. Uh, they believe only large corporations need to run background screening However, small firms have just as much to lose from a bad hire, if not more. Yeah. Uh, and besides the basic information, uh, like 
artificial intelligence uh, is able to provide there is some uh, that it's worth it to have humans analysis like if an applicant uh, claimed to have a degree that cannot be confirmed uh, by the educational institution, dates of employment, terms of separation don't, don't match, uh, sanctions, disbarment, or disciplinary actions uh, against one's professional license, adverse media. So uh, every employee or third party represents your, uh, uh, a lawyer's uh, law firm. And making uh, the wrong hire can reflect poorly on uh, one's law firm or open uh, the lawyer up to potential fines and lawsuits. So um, background checks, uh, it's not only those that we usually, there are many tools on uh, in the market that are available for that, but it's it, it has to be uh, uh, made a uh, deeper anal anal analysis on the uh, an individual's uh, past life. Yeah, you know. yeah, and, and I mean, in, in talking about that, it reminded me of a story that I saw a couple of years ago. There was this uh, estate planning law firm in Pennsylvania, and they had hired this woman uh, to to work there as like an associate attorney, and. I would assume they did a background check on her before they hired her, but it was probably just a basic check, you know, just like criminal history, stuff like that. They didn't check her degree. They didn't check to see if she was even licensed. They didn't check to see if she had like a valid bar number. And she worked in this firm for several years and worked on several cases and several estates and probate cases and stuff like that. And then it, and then something, something crazy happened where they found out that like the bar number that she was using belonged to someone else who had passed away or whatever. And it turned out that like, she, like, she just wasn't even licensed, like nothing. And it kind of worked out because it's like, she had done good work, like somehow had done good work for, for the firm. But like, to your point, like she could have really wrecked things for a lot of different people that she worked for. And this sort of thing could have been caught had that firm been a little bit more diligent in performing a more thorough background check on the people that they're hiring. Yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, that's correct, John. So yeah, uh, it's very important to have all the information before hiring someone and because that's fraud. Yeah. She was involved in a fraud. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so the other thing that you mentioned um, was also just the due diligence aspect of it. And I think, you know, most people talk, you know, when they think of due diligence uh, to kind of go back to the, the house comparison that I mentioned earlier, people know that due diligence process in the, in, in the overall process of buying a house, but uh, due diligence comes up in, in many other scenarios, especially when it comes to compliance and, and risk mitigation. So why is that an important element of this. Yeah, so just keeping it simple and to the point, due diligence means doing your homework and gaining the required knowledge before entering into any agreement or contract with an, another organization or third party. So 
It's important because it enables business to protect themselves by checking assumptions and conditions of a mutual relationship or um, an offer and identify, identifying relevant risks. Um, it has to be considered before making any key business decisions or acquiring a company onboarding, uh, which means onboarding due diligence. And as an, an ongoing process as regular and screening of exiting existing business partners, vendors, and acquirers. So it's not only when we're going to hire or merge with another business or, or something like that. It's also a, an ongoing process. So we have to be constantly reviewing those we are uh, working with. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's it's kind of funny and a, a little ironic because, you know, one of the things that we see a lot, uh, especially with our business in, in terms of, um, you know, in, in marketing, you know, for example, uh, a lot of law firms, business owners, they are very hesitant to kind of relinquish control of something or they don't want to delegate something. But then at the same time, there are these huge holes in their compliance and risk mitigation, where it's almost like they're a lot of times they just check off a box to just say they got something done and they didn't, you know, they didn't like, like you said, do enough of their homework. And so it's, it's this weird relationship where, you know, I see a lot of business owners who are very hesitant to give up control, but then when they finally do, it's done in a way that may not be as secure as you might expect it to be. So, you know, kind of, kind of to wrap up here, you know, what kinds of compliance trainings and programs should these small firm owners consider and how can they integrate these trainings into their firm culture so that it's always top of mind and, and that it's something that a lot of people are constantly thinking about? So uh, there are standard training sessions that are mandatory to all employees. It doesn't matter the company's industry, such as general compliance that is based on the organization's overall main policies, which involve ethical behavior and compliance with the law and regulation. Uh, there are specific topics that must be addressed to employees depending on the industry that their company is part of. So law firms, asset management companies, or uh, a real estate business, for example, want to have anti-laundering money training in place to ensure they will not be blindly participating in a money, money laundering scheme. Uh, so uh, for, the same goes for corruption, depending on if it's a pharmaceutical company, they want to have a very uh, robust um, uh, training program for anti-corruption uh, procedures and policies. So it's there's some general because mm -hmm. involves uh, any uh, any business matters, and there are more there are more specific kind of training that are more um, related to the the company's industry. Awesome, and so. That is what your company does, Preveneer. How can people reach out to you to learn more uh, about what you guys do and to potentially work with you? So, yeah, I, uh, I have my email, uh, which is uh, natalia.gindler at 
privateneurus.com. And I'd be glad to make a risk assessment and start uh, some uh, to see what, because it's always, it's a tailor-made program. So we have to uh, first assess the risks of a company and to see how big or how how, uh, small would be the, the program. Awesome. And I'll have uh, that email in the show notes so that uh, you guys can reach out to her. Um, That is going to do it. I do have one final question for you. It's one we ask all of our guests here. And that is, if you had one final piece of advice for our listeners, what would it be? So um, to me, business matters are like health. So prevention is better, cheaper, and less traumatic than cure. And that's my advice. Let's go with the prevention. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning that with my house right now. (laughs) I'm I'm having to do all kinds of preventative things to keep it from falling apart, I guess. But that's another story for another time. Um, Natalia, thank you so much for joining us. That's going to do it uh, for us here this week on Center Stage. Uh, Rate, review us wherever you are listening to the show. Uh, We love hearing the feedback that you guys are providing. Uh, Really do thank you all for listening. And that's it. Natalia, thank you once again. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. To learn more, go to spotlightbranding.com slash center stage.